So it is my honor, and, and please don't take it as like, oh, we're here. You, this is the third time, actually fourth time, because uh, Crosswinds have two services. This will be the f- fourth time that I'm preaching today's message, and I am even more thoroughly convinced that it is something that if we don't participate in, um, that the end result is going to be you lesser than what God has called you to be, period. And so what I'm going to talk about this morning is really what the gospel is. And if we're going to be messengers of the gospel, we not only have to understand what the gospel is, because you know if we don't understand the gospel and we try to tell and share the gospel with other people, it's going to be super confusing for them because we may relay information that is not correct. So we're going to solidify what the gospel is. But one thing that I'm going to do today is convince you implore you, beg you to preach the gospel to one person in particular. I believe that before we preach the gospel to anyone else, we have to be in the position where we're preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. Because if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves, something else will come in and evade us. And take over and we'll begin to believe something that's less than the gospel. And let me just give you uh, an idea. that This isn't a new thought. This isn't something um, that I just made up. But listen to this out of Psalm. Psalms 42.11, which this one's not going to be on your screen, I apologize. Uh, 42.11, it says, why, and this is the psalmist saying these things to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Like this is the psalmist going, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you downcast? Why are you upset? Why are these things going on in your life? And it's them talking to themselves, which sounds a little crazy when you say it like that. But it literally is something that we do to ourselves all the time. But look what happens after this. So, they're saying, why are you so downcast? Why are you in turmoil within me? And, it, and then he preaches a gospel to himself. He shares this in spite of how he's feeling. He says, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So the person is sitting there going, oh my gosh, why, why, why is this going on? Why do I feel this way? But in spite of of the way I feel, I'm going to speak truth to myself, which is preaching the gospel to yourself. There's a guy named Paul David Tripp. Um, If you are ever searching on Amazon and looking for a book to read, really everything that he's written that I've read so far is great. Love the guy. But he, he, he says this. He said, there is no one more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you more than you do. Think about it. Like what, when when you're having a bad day, what's usually the root of that? Now, I'm not talking about the external. Usually something external happens, but what we do with that external thing is we begin to take it and and put it on ourselves. Like something negative happens, and then we begin to say, it always, it's always like this. 
you know, when these days start, it's just going to be like that all day. So we begin to convince ourselves of something that isn't necessarily going to happen. But if we're going to change the way we are, if we're going to change our community, if we're going to change our families, change our work environments, change our neighborhoods, we have to be people that are willing to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again until we get it. Because I don't know about you, but like it's a struggle sometimes to actually believe the things that you communicate. I had written on the top of this, and this sounds a little bit deeper than it really is, but does your confessional theology, which just means your belief in God, does your confessional theology match your functional theology? Do what you tell people about what you believe match the actions that follow your life? Because the danger is, is we could have all the information, but we don't walk in that. And that's the pattern that we want to get after. If we're not preaching the gospel to ourselves, we will believe a lie. And whatever we believe will work itself into action. You ever seen that? Like if something takes root in you, you will walk it out. And so before we get in, I just want to spend about 20 minutes of this message going through Romans 3 verses 19 through 26. And I think, I mean, there's other great examples of the gospel, but I think it is one of from beginning to end in these verses. It is, is a very clear representation of what the gospel is. So I want to talk about making sure that we're preaching the right gospel to ourselves. So if we begin to preach something that's contrary to the word of God or contrary to who God is, we'll 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 functionally walk out that lie. And we won't we don't want to do that. We want to understand who we are positionally in God. And if we will commit, continue to communicate that to ourselves, it will move into our daily life. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are, I am, so eternally grateful for the truth of your gospel. And Lord, we want to confess, I want to confess the times in our life that our confessional theology or or what we say with our mouth doesn't match what we're doing in our lives. And we want to change that. And Lord, there is nothing that will change that outside of you and the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given us as your children. So this morning, as we look at your word, I pray that your truth would take root in us. That it would do in us what I am unable to do, even in myself. That it would just transform us. It would increase our desire to focus on you. It would increase our dependence on you. It would increase our trust in you. And it would utterly change the people around us as you are changing us. So Lord, speak through your word for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in Romans 3, starting in verse 19, and Romans is a, if you're reading the one-year Bible, you're actually, well, I think Romans 3 might have been yesterday. I mean, Romans is one of the most 
theologically rich books that there is. I mean, it literally, you could spend the rest of your life studying the truths that are in the book of Romans, and you would not, you would not get everything that's in there. I mean, it, it just is so rich. I mean, Romans 8, I, I talk about it a lot. I love, it's probably my favorite chapter in all uh, the book, but we're going to be in three this morning. It, it is a letter from Paul speaking to a church that's struggling to exist in an area that he's struggling to get to. As you read in uh, Romans 1 and 2, like he's kind of aching to be there with them. He's aching to be in their midst and love on them. And so he's, he's making sure to communicate these truths by sending these letters to them. And, and here we go in Romans 3. Romans 3, starting in verse 19, it says, Now we know... That whatever the law says, it speaks to those under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law clarifies our need for God. It doesn't give us a functional pattern to operate in so that you can be the child that God has called you to be. It literally exposes the weakness of our human nature. It gives us uh, the reality of what's going on in ourselves. And it's saying that. It's that every mouth would be shut and that the whole world would be held accountable to God. And, And check this out. In verse 20 it says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So he's saying, this thing that I gave the people, when Moses came with the law, the thing that he gave them would only expose the sin in their life. It wouldn't be the thing that was like, oh, finally I have the method. And I feel like a lot of my early life, a lot of my life, even now at times, is the struggle with God, just give me the list. Like, give me the list of what you do and don't want me to do, and I want to be a rule follower and do that, but there isn't life in that. Because he gave them a list. And they were so, they loved the list so much that they added hundreds of extra lists and laws to the Ten Commandments. But he's saying that by no work of human effort, will be justified, meaning made right before God. But then he, he here's the, there, there's the, the, the dilemma. Verse 21 begins to bring the solution. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. So he's saying there is a righteousness that is apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22. It says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So he's saying, hey, the law will never set you free. But there is one that is set apart from the law, a righteousness apart from the law that is going to be presented to us who believe in Jesus. For there is no distinction. That's the beauty of the gospel. There is no one that's separate from that there's no special people in the grace of god including me 
I love that, you know, this is a senior center and not necessarily a church building. I love that I don't have a podium, like a, a platform that I'm on. I love that I'm not on top of something because there, there begins to be this lie of, like, whoever stands on the stage, like, they're a cut above. But the thing that we find out about the gospel is there's no one that is a cut above outside of the grace of God. Outside of the righteous, no one is righteous outside of the righteousness that God gives them. It puts us all in the same place. I mean, could you imagine if the church got that? Could you imagine how humble the church would be if they begin to realize, and I I mean the church and I mean the people in it, begin to realize that it is 100% God that has made you righteous. 100% God who has made you pure. That literally everything that you have, it is by the grace of God. And if we believe that, instead of beginning to believe that we are something special. That we have done something that those people in this world have not. We have separated ourselves. And I'm not against that. Meaning, I'm not against you trying to live your life in in accord with the word of God. But I am saying at the end of the day that nothing you do is going to make God love you more. What this is talking about. That it was by the grace of God, something apart from you, which is Jesus, He came and did His part, apart from you, apart from the law, to give you what you could not get on your own. In verse 23, and I think a lot of us live here as it relates to other people. Psalms 23, I mean not Psalms, Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Let me just share a little bit. Don't, don't go there yet, Anna. Um, three weeks ago, I was here um, before you got here. And because I love this church so much that I want to help set up and, and participate with making this look like a church. I just... I. I don't think there'll ever be a season in my life that I don't want to serve because I think as the leader of this church, I want to communicate that if it's valuable enough for me to say I would like you to serve, that I better serve. And I'm not talking about like serving the word, like I'm talking about getting sweaty. Like I bring shorts and a t-shirt here in the morning and and flip-flops because it gets hot in here when you're working feels nice now. Some of you might get a little cold, and that's probably because we were sweating earlier and we turned that down. So if you get cold during the day, just look over there. It's all that thing's fault. Actually, it's my finger's fault because I made it go down. But the the last two weeks ago, I was here, and, and we were setting things up. And, and, and uh, you know, you know that this isn't um, our space and this pipe and drape. You know, it, it's, it's an illusion to make our little church. And, and, and this this thing right here. This thing gets hung up in the room over there on these hooks, and it's really heavy. Uh, these lights on top of this um, light strut structure are really top-heavy. And if you're not careful, they'll want to swing to one side. So me and Alan Artiga, who y'all gave a warm welcome last week and this week, um, were here, and we were deciding, hey, we're, well, let's get the lights. Alan actually told me, hey, before you leave, because I had to go to Crosswinds to preach that morning, help me get the lights out of there. So, you know, we go into the back, which is this room over here, get the light, and we come over here, and these 
um, tripods are a little bit lower, so we can put them on there. And so I'm standing right about here, and I put mine on the platform, and you have to lock them in. And Alan was like, Keith needs to learn a lesson. He's getting sloppy. And he, he twisted, and it fell and hit me in the head. Go ahead and turn the... And uh, forgive the selfie, but um, it, he, it hit me in the head, I mean hard, and it's laying on my head. And I'm like, it hurt, it hurt. But I didn't know I was bleeding yet. And Alan's on this side, so he didn't see the blood. And Alan did not twist it. It just it twisted on its own. I put my hands off of it. My fault. I'm joking. Alan did not do this on purpose. And it fell. And Alan knew that it kind of hit me in the head, but he didn't know I was bleeding. And he didn't know how hard it hurt. And he was like, literally, you're welcome. Because in, in Alan's mind, he was like, I saved you from it just falling and crashing on you. And I'm like, actually, my head stopped it from falling and crashing on and so he's like come on let's get this thing on there and i'm like and so i put my end on there and i uh, i secured the little pins and i uh left him to secure his own side like that's, that's and so i'm like okay i'm good i'm bleeding and so i walked through the curtain and there was a couple of our worship team that were getting some stuff out of there and i walked back there and like i'm, I'm bleeding down my face and they're like you ever see somebody bleeding when they shouldn't be bleeding? You're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. And I go, there's a bathroom back around the corner. So I go into the bathroom, and I'm kind of wiping my head, and I close the door. And Denise, who usually plays the bass for us, knocks on the door. And she's a nurse. She's like, are you, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, and so this is what happens. So I took the picture, and I text my wife. And I said, how's your morning going? <laughs> she knows me long enough. We've been married 20 years. That There's something underneath that. She was like, great. How are you? And so I sent her the picture. And she was like, oh, my gosh, how'd that happen? I was like, Alan dropped the light rig on my head. And he was like, and this is no lie. I could show you the text, what's getting ready to happen. And then she asked, did you lose your temper at Alan? I surely did not, because I'm in church. So I'm like, no, no, no. And then, and then, no lie, no lie. This is a, she. Then she asked after I said I didn't lose my temper. She said, "Did you cuss?" <laughs> I don't. I just want to clarify that I don't like go around cussing outside of here. But you know, when things happen, sometimes words come out of your mouth. But I didn't cuss. I mean, I was very calm, cool. Like I didn't lose it. I didn't yell at Alan. Like, it was one of my children, I probably yelled at them, but I didn't yell at Alan. And went in the other room, and I, I say all that to say that most of our confessional theology works really well until something hits us in the head. It does. Most of our beliefs function really well until something difficult or trying comes along. And I, I just want to clarify that... that Alan did not do that on purpose at all. It, it, I love Alan. Alan felt really bad, and I've used Alan the last three weeks, so I love him even more for this illustration. But none of us have got it all figured out. Even the most holy, righteous person, given the right circumstances, given the right thing, can lose it. 
Because all have fallen short of the glory of God, every single one of us. And the more we begin to understand that, it changes the way we look at people. It changes the way we look at those people on the road that don't know how to drive. That won't let you in. It changes the way we look at people that do stuff that we are frustrated with, that that we don't like, that we have tension with, with at work or at Walmart or whatever. It changes the way we look at people when we realize that all, including us, have fallen way short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And it it gives us an opportunity to look at them through different lenses. See, the righteousness is available to everyone on the same basis. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that is why Jesus entered our world. Verse 24, it says, and are justified. So not all, not only have all fallen short of the glory of God. But we're justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, a gift. How much did you pay for your last gift that you got? I'm not talking about the ones your children bought you when they were little and they didn't make any money, okay? I'm talking about, like, when was the last time someone gave you a gift that you paid for that gift? Like, they give you something really nice and be like, oh, here's 20 bucks. Appreciate that. You don't because it's a gift. Like, the gospel is something that we've got to remember every time is that it was a gift given to me. Justified, again, defined is the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. Outside of the righteousness that came through Jesus, there is no justification. See, and all who put their faith in Christ Jesus are justified freely by His grace. Verse 25. Let me read 24 with 25 again and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. And let me just explain. That's not a word that I use. I probably don't even pronounce it correctly. So if you're reading that and going, that's not exactly how it's said. I could not say yesterday, and one of my friends was making fun of me, um, cilantro. I struggle with that word, and I said it, incorrectly they told me that i was saying it like um sriracha but tro anyway just so we're all on the same page this word literally means something that's put forward a price that has to be paid for so jesus was put forward as our payment for the sin that we ourselves have incurred To be received by faith. Hebrews says it this way. It says, there will, do not be deceived. There will not be forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. There has to be this payment that we see here put forward by God through Jesus. And it says, continuing in verse 25, it says, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over the former sin. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might 
be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. For God to be righteous, sin has to be paid for. And this is why the gospel is so critical, is that we have to have someone pay the penalty for us. And the only one worthy for that penalty, the only person willing to take that place is Jesus. And that righteousness that he gives us, he he puts on it, it literally, God the Father sees us through his son. I mean, just just for a second. Close your eyes for just a second. And I know some of you struggle with being told what to do. Then you don't have to. That's fine. But just close your eyes for a second. Just, just think about it for just a second. That right now, if you are a child of God, his righteousness is resting on you. And right now, as God the Father is looking down into this room, if you are a child of God, He is seeing you as righteous. For just just a second, just say, say that to yourself quietly inside. I am righteous. Could you imagine, you can open your eyes now, can you imagine what our life would be like if instead of the lie that we tell ourselves every day that we are worthless because we're looking at us and begin to look at our value through Jesus. And that right now, sitting in this chair later on today when you're at lunch, tomorrow, at work, next week, next weekend, that you are the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did for you. And I'm sure if you've been around the church, you're probably, yeah, 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 I get, I get it. He's, I got the gospel. But the truth is, is our action, what we do, communicates what we believe about the gospel. See, the truth is you are preaching something to yourself every day. You are preaching and your preaching to yourself is affecting every single aspect of your life. The things that you're telling yourself, if they aren't the truth about who you are, about your identity, about who God says you are. You're going to walk in what you're telling yourself. And remember the quote that I read earlier from Paul David Tripp, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. What are you saying to yourself? Like, what is that when when you feel beat up, when you feel worthless, what is the internal voice in you telling you about you? Because a lot of times our internal voice, we just believe because it's inside of us. And if it's inside of us, it must be what our identity is. And let me just tell you, sometimes your internal voice isn't the Holy Spirit. 
Sometimes your internal voice is literally just you believing what you want to believe about yourself. I've been there. Like, I know what it feels like to feel worthless, to feel not righteous. And the truth is, as long as we look to ourself as the one who gives us our righteousness, maintains our righteousness, we will be battered and abused. Because if we're looking for ourselves to save ourselves, we won't ever settle that. This may be, instead of preaching the gospel that we just talked about, you preach the gospel of you. And if you preach the gospel of you, one of two things is going to happen. One, you're going to be depressed all the time because the reality of who you are is just going to unsettle you. And you're going to be confronted by your own sin. And, and because of that, you're going to feel like God doesn't love me. God has disassociated from me. He's moved away. He doesn't want me anymore. And so you're going to be completely depressed about your reality. Or... If you feel like you're doing pretty good with this Christian thing, you're going to become cocky and arrogant and begin to believe that you are worth the sacrifice. Meaning, like, God wanted me because, like, I'm a ton better than those other people. Like, I'm on Facebook. I see what these people are doing. I'm a ton better. I don't know about me. I'm just, like, speaking for someone. I'm just like, man, he is. he gets that one. That we'll do one of those two things. We will either feel horrible about ourselves, or we will elevate ourselves higher than we should. And so here's what I want to do. I want to leave you guys with four different things that I think if we incorporate these into our life, it will change the way we interact with our world. And so the first thing that I think we could do in preaching the gospel to ourselves is focus on the beauty of Christ. Psalms 27, 4, it says, One thing I have asked of you, of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. This psalmist is like, oh, I, this is all I want. I just want to be near you. And here's the beauty of where we are right now. The beauty of what the psalmist didn't have is that we have Jesus as our once and for all sacrifice. They were only hoping for that. That we are right now as children of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. That we can right now literally just shut the noise down and just focus on the beauty of Christ. Focus on the beauty of what the cross does for us. Because if we don't do this, we will focus on a lesser beauty. A lesser thing. And our, our attention will be drawn somewhere. And if we don't focus on the beauty of Christ, we'll focus on the wrong beauty and we will chase it. And so the next thing that we can do after focusing on the beauty, after literally just going, God, you are good. Half the time during worship when I'm singing the right thing, sometimes I miss the word. And I, feel, I feel like confidently only the worship team hears that. That's why I sit up front. Because I want to I wanna, I wanna sing it and then I go, for, I go for the wrong line and you go two or three words into it and you're just, you're just already there. But half the time when I'm not doing that, I don't know if you'll also notice I can't clap and sing at the same time, so I really struggle with beat. 
Um, so if you see me clapping, realize that I'm not singing. If you see me singing, realize that I'm not clapping. Or if you see me singing and clapping, that I'm offbeat, you'll know. You're like, yeah, truth. He. But half the time I'm sitting up here just going, God, you are so good. Like these songs are just a representation of what he has done for us. So the second thing that we can do is remember who we are as a child. So not only you got you to start with Christ. You can't start with your identity because your identity isn't anything without the identity giver. So you've got to focus on the beauty of Christ, but you've got to remember who you are as a child. Romans 8, 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as son, whom we cry, Abba, Father. And for those that haven't ever heard someone talk about that, Abba is like a, an intimate. It's not like, I think sometimes with God we're like, Father... You are a great father. Like, my kids don't call me father. They call me dad. You know, or the cute ones call me daddy. Like my nine-year-old. They, the older they get, the, the extra D and a Y, it's just a struggle. Dad. But there, there's an intimacy to dad that, that he's talking about here that we get to be not only adopted into the thought, like we're kind of like the, you know, not the awkward adopted stepchild that's like, oh, thankful to be in the room, but like literally get an intimacy to right now, right here during worship as we end in a minute with worship to go, Dad, that you're my father. In verse 16, it says, And the Spirit Himself bear, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You get that? Has anybody ever got an unexpected call from like a lawyer saying that you were in someone's will? You were an heir? Like, whew. Like, yeah, I am. Somebody's going to give me something? Like, yeah. I mean, this is like heir to God. This is like heir to Bill Gates. Bill Gates has a lot of money and all these other wealthy people. If they just come to find out, like, we just love you and we want to make you part of the family. And you're in the will now. Like, this is what it's talking about here. That not only are you not an awkward stepchild or adopted child or anything. You are a son and daughter, but you're an heir. And not just an heir, just in case we may go, well, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm part of the family. But you are co-heir with Christ. Co-heir. I mean, think about that for just a second. As a child of God, you are a co-heir. And I love this. I love when it's talking about your identity. You want it to make sure that your identity is not wrapped up in your comfortable, easy life. Because look what it says here, and a lot of a lot of a lot of people that love this. I'm a co-heir with Christ. We don't want I, we don't want to just we did we did dot dot. If we quote this on Facebook, we dot dot this. Look at this. It says, "Provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him." So you being a son or daughter does not eliminate you from suffering. But in the midst of that suffering, you're still an heir. So if you're suffering through something right now, if there's a diagnosis, if there's something going on that's out of your control, God didn't leave you 
isolated and going, mm-mm, you shouldn't have done that last week. I told you not to eat that extra piece of pizza. I told you, children, which if you're reading the New Testament, uh, in the list of like horrible sins, disobeying your parents is one of those. I'm just, I'm just saying. I mean, I told you, 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 should, you, you better do that. I, husbands, I told you. She, she had it right. And you didn't listen. Like, and we always think through that. Like, our, most of our suffering is our own doing. Or like, God, is this just like, psh, shouldn't have done that. But he's saying here that our air, our connection, is not cut off because of suffering. But he's saying provided we suffer. Provided we are willing to allow God every bit of our life. That we're still children. So we've got to focus on the beauty of God. We've got to remember that we're children. Number three, you've got to rest in His power and provision. Rest. Look at this. Psalms 46.10, it says, Be still and know. That I am God. Be still and know. Look at the end of this. It says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I don't know if you know this. If you've read to the end of the story, but God wins. Regardless of what our nation looks like, regardless of what path you think we're on, God's kingdom will win. Period. There's no president that's going to thwart that. There's no world war that's going to threaten that. Nothing is going to threaten the kingdom that is coming. And he's saying right here that he will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. Maybe you've read this scripture before. It says, every knee will bow. Every knee. Willingly, with joy and celebration, or unwillingly, but they will bow. Imagine, see, the, the danger if we not, we're not preaching this to ourselves, just like remembering. If we're not remembering we're a child, we'll act like we're not a child. If we're not remembering to rest in His power and provision then we will strive and not rest. We'll forget that we can just sit here in the midst of the tornado, in the midst of our life that's falling apart, and and be still and know. I think someone in here can just take that one verse and just spend this week going, be still and know, tell yourself, I'm going to, regardless of what's going on at work, regardless of what's going on with family, and just go, God, you are God. You are my king. And my king is going to do what he needs to do in my life. There is not someone that's in your life. I know sometimes we feel like that person is just thwarting God's plan for me. Everything would just be perfect. It wasn't for this person. That person, go ahead and name them in your head. Don't say it out loud because it could be the person sitting next to you. That's on you. But that person is not messing with God. God isn't going, man, if if that person's spouse would just act right, like we could get this show on the road, or if if that that boss, 
man, if that boss wasn't there, man, we would we would be taking over. There isn't. You got to look and resting and understanding that where you're at, God has you there. What God's doing in you, it's not out of his control if you are his child. And at the end of all this, as you focus daily on the beauty of Christ, as you then remember who you are as a child, and then with that you rest in his power and provision. And the last thing is act in reliance upon him. Act. At the end of all of this, theology is not something that you know. In the end, if you don't do it, it's not worth anything. Everything that God wants to do in you is always, always, always leading you to an action. And here's the key. It's not just act. Like sometimes we're like, you just hear me say act and you're like, run out the door and be like, you know. Stop the person that's walking, trying to get some exercise out here and be like, you need Jesus. Did you know? And I think sometimes we act and we forget this. The statement literally says act in reliance upon him. The more we're seeing his beauty, the more we're meditating on who we are as a child, the more we're resting in his power and provision, the more we can act correctly. And literally begin to be God's hands and feet. James 1.22, it says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. goes on to say, it's like, you know, reading the word and not doing the word is like looking at yourself in the mirror, walking away from the mirror and forgetting what you look like. The best way to you, for you, for us to experience the grace and mercy of God and the, the under, really, truly understand the Word of God is to see it and act on it. Look, our Bible is filled with hard things. I mean, love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. Think about some of the things that God is calling you to do. I was just listening to a sermon the other day, uh, and the guy was talking about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. That is the, the lowest of the low. Like in this culture, the lowest servant would do that duty. And Jesus brings the disciples in there. They didn't have the servants that would do that. And so he brings them into the room, and he does it. And what does he tell them to do? He says, you know that if I'm doing this, you're called to do that. So Jesus is telling his people to lower themselves into the things that you don't think you should be doing. Like they don't need me in kids ministry. I'm above that. I don't have kids anymore. Kids ministry is like the, the one thing in church that you feel led to or not led to. Let me just tell you. Kids ministry is a place that you get to serve or not you. It's the one place that you get to sacrifice yourself and go, and God, I just want to, I want to invest in this next generation. I, I want to give up. I think sometimes we think too highly of ourselves. You know, these chairs, I think the setup team is the same way. It's like, you know, you come in here on Sunday morning, you're like, man, this looks pretty nice. Seats are all in order. Look at these little pieces of paper. I don't know that you know this, but all these things that are stuffed in the back of the seat, they don't stay there. 
we take them out at the end of service and we put them back in and, and people come here in the morning and go, God, I just want to serve. Action is part of it. And so what I want to do, I want to invite our worship team back up. We're going to uh, worship one more song. And one of the reasons why we add a song to the end of service is keep you in here a little bit longer. By this point, I've talked about food at least once or twice, and, and now you're thinking about that and that alone, and we just want to punish you. No, that was a joke, just for those that don't know me. Um, the reason why we always put some type of clothes, some type of music at the end of our service is because I understand that the best time for you to respond to something that God is stirring in you is right now. Because some of you in this room, you aren't into preaching the gospel to yourself. And yes, at one point you've said yes to Jesus and you're a blood-bought saint of the Lord. But you're forgetting that God wants you now. That God's calling you now to be obedient to Him. And if you don't preach the gospel to yourself every day, another gospel will invade and it will take up root and your actions will be funneled out of that. And so, <clears throat> two people in this room that I feel like God wants to just speak. There, there's potentially people in this room that have been around church their entire life and they've played church. I spent 18 years going to Sunday school and youth group and all these things and could have told you the gospel. But I didn't get it. I hadn't submitted. I hadn't given my life to him. I haven't said, hey, I'm yours to do what you want. When I was 18 years old, I said yes to Jesus, and it had been a wild ride. At 18, I wasn't thinking, man, I'm going to take over the world and become a pastor of a church. If you would go back in the, your DeLorean and find me at 18 and be like, hey, you're going to be a pastor of a church, you'd be like, you crazy. Do you know me? But there's potentially people in this room that just need surrender. You've, you've lied yourself through the gospel. You've told yourself about you and what you can do and what you've done and what you want to do, and you need the gospel that looks at you through the lens of a Savior, a God who put on flesh and lived the life that you could not die the death that you were called to die to set you free. And potentially this morning, it is you surrendering to Jesus, maybe for the first time, just going, God, I want to be yours. I mean, really yours. I want to set my life in motion to every day surrender, every day tell myself these truths that you've placed on me. That's one. Two, there's a lot of us in this room, me included. I'm telling you, the more I preach this, the more I realize that I don't do a good job preaching the gospel to myself some days. And then thankfully, over the last three weeks, you haven't got this, but the last three weeks, I've every week preached this message to myself going, Heath, you're going to go share that again. And why are you, why are you forgetting that you're a child today? Why are you forgetting to gaze at the beauty, to focus on who Christ is because it changes you. And so what I want to encourage you with as we close is where in your life are you not preaching the gospel to yourself? Where in your life are you not allowing the truth that is the gospel to settle you? And maybe today is a time of just confessing. I'm just going, God, this is I, I've. I've ran off in this direction. 
And I, I've, I've tried to do the things that you want me to do, but I've tried to do it without you. And I just need you. And that may just be surrendering. Really, honestly, the rest of your life as a child of God is a day in, day out. Surrender. And a willingness to surrender to a good God who loves us. Who loves us so much that he sent his son so that we can have life. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are eternally grateful for the clarity that you've given us in the gospel. The gospel that points out our need and our inability to set ourselves free to be the man or woman that you have called us to be. But the hope that you gave us in Jesus who came and did what we could not paid the penalty for us and offers for all those who believe and trust in Him eternal life. And not just eternal life, not just heaven in the future, but Your kingdom now. And so, Lord, as we worship together this one last song, I pray that You would expand in our hearts who You are. Lord, I pray that you would expose lies. I pray that you would rip out non-gospel truths that we have planted in our lives that we're living by. I pray that you would rip those out and that you would begin to cultivate our hearts into a fruit-bearing place. As we surrender, as we remember your beauty as we remember who we are as children, as we rest in your power and provision, as we act in reliance to you, I pray that you would radically transform our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.